As we continue our our series, as we've been the last several weeks called This is Church, one of the incredible opportunities that's in front of us today as a faith family is to accomplish something absolutely incredible in the life of our church. You just saw on on the video there two of our church members that explain some of the benefits or the blessings that we as a faith family have received because of the, the facilities that we have many of which that you have have sacrificed for for years and years so that we could enjoy. Take just CSA, for example, and think about 2,700 children that have come through our preschool facility just Monday through Friday, not even talking about Sunday mornings, that have been taught not just from an educational standpoint, because it's much more than just a school, it's a ministry, and that's been the purpose ever since it started that we partnered with parents to teach their children that the importance of having a biblical foundation from birth, that they know that they were created by God with a plan, with a purpose, that God wants to use them for his glory. You can't put a price tag on the ministry that's taken place through CSA. Then you look at the gym and you look at the rock and you think about over 2,000 students that have been through what we call upward basketball where they're learning more than just how to dribble a basketball or how to shoot or how to pass, but they're learning something more important, and that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Every single Saturday that there's upward basketball, there's a devotion at halftime so that they're hearing the gospel, they're hearing God's word. But probably one of the things that I'm most pleased and most proud of our church for is that we have have used our facilities, not as so many churches would say, was almost like we're a fortress, And that our building, that our facilities can only be used by church members. We need to make sure, where's your church membership card before you want to use our facilities? No, no, no. We've said we desire to be a partner with our community. We want to be a beacon of hope and light. And if it's the Decatur City School System, if it's the Morgan County School System, if it's our law enforcement, in a couple weeks we're going to have Calhoun Community College. They're going to have their graduation here. If it's saying that we want to be a part of uh, on. Monday or Tuesday this past week that we had 12 schools that were here for the high schools of the Alabama um, Coral Assessment Program that we said we want to be a part of our community. We have been here. We want to plant and be a part of Decatur and surrounding areas. But now, 18 years later after we started that building campaign, it's time that we pay off our debt. It's time that we focus our energy, that we focus our money, that we focus our time instead on greater things that God wants to do both in and through First Baptist Church Decatur. It is my heart's desire that once we pay off this debt, which right now is at $530,000, that once we pay it off, that we will be able to focus with more intensity, with greater intention on what God wants us to do today. No longer paying off the debt from the past, but positioning ourselves for a new work that God has in store for us today. I believe with all of my heart that he has incredible things in store for our future. God has a new work for us, and it's time for us to position ourselves to put us in a place of opportunity so that we can respond as God places those ministry and those missions in front of us today. That's why I'm coming before you this morning, and I'm so eager, and I am so excited about the possibility of our church family stepping up and sacrificing collectively together at this time to position ourselves for what God has in store for our future. I've said this time and time again over the course of this series, that I truly believe that our future is incredibly bright as a church. And it will be incredibly bright as long as we do one single thing. 
That one single thing is as long as we will remember and we will continue to keep Jesus Christ as head of this church. Not a pastor, not the staff, not deacons, but as long as we will submit our authority and our leadership to Jesus Christ, God has incredible things in store for this church. There are people that are visiting every single Sunday. I had an opportunity to meet two couples before church even started. This is their first Sunday here. In 2018, we've only had two months, January and February. We've had 20 people that have said, we want to be a part of this church. God is doing incredible things in our church, and I'm believing that he has even greater things in store for our future. So my hope, my plea for us beginning today is that we would all pull together, that we would all come together for this time and say it's time for us to sacrifice together for us to accomplish a God-sized goal to position ourselves for what he has in store for our future. Church, I believe with all of my heart that we can do this. We can pay this debt off, and I think we can do it rather quickly. You say, well, how's it going to happen? Well, here's how I don't want it to happen. I don't want it to happen by just getting 10 or 15 or 20 or 100 people saying, well, let's just all come together and write a check for tens of thousands of dollars, and then we'll be done. Now, if that's what God lays on your heart, then great. I want you to respond that way. All right? Not discouraging that by any means. But my heart's desire is that we would come together as members. If you're a guest of ours, you can ignore everything I'm about to say, all right? Nothing like first time you come in, we're talking about paying off $500,000. But if you're a member of our church family, would we come together collectively and do one single thing? Go before the Lord and say, God, I'm coming with open hands. David Platter, our current IMB president, he says, would we go before the Lord with a blank check? Say, God, here it is. What is it that you want me to write here? And would we go before him and say, God, number one, would you have me be a part of sacrificially giving above and beyond what I'm already giving to pay this debt off? And if so, what would you have me give? How would you have me respond? Let me tell you how it's not going to work. This isn't going to be your traditional campaign where there's going to be a three-month campaign and a buildup and we're going to have dinners and balloons and slogans everywhere and t-shirts. That's not what this is going to be. Again, it's going to be very simple. It's going to be each and every one of us as members going before the Lord saying, God, how would you have me respond? In your worship guide, you've got a couple inserts I want you to look at. There's, I'm not going to read them to you, but you've got a little half sheet of paper. And on that half sheet, it gives you some information about why we're going through this initiative. Why now? What's the purpose? What's the debt for? And all that will kind of explain that. And if you turn it over, there are ways that you can be a part of this. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the crazy part. On Palm Sunday, which is three weeks from today, we're going to make a commitment. Again, there's no need to drag this out. There's no need to have a three-month-long campaign and pledge for three years. My, my, My ask of you is that on Palm Sunday, between now and three weeks from today, will you pray and say, God, what is it that you want me to give? And if it's a one-time gift, there's an offering envelope that'll be in there, and we will all collectively come together and place our sacrificial offering before the Lord. You say, that's too quick. I can't get my finances in order and give what I want to. Well, there's a pledge card that you can sign that, and you can turn that in um, on Palm Sunday as well. But I truly believe that we can knock this out. And my hope and prayer is that I I stand here four weeks from now on Easter Sunday, and I say, church family, either we're debt-free or we've pledged that by the end of the year we will be debt-free and position our church for something we haven't been in over two decades. How many of you think we can do that? All right, I hope that 
This is not just paying off the debt. This is positioning ourselves for what God has in store for us in the future. Now, three weeks ago, I stood before you and I shared from my heart. And I told you it was a little different from me. And this series has been a little different for me because I'm not in in my wheelhouse of preaching through a text and, and just going through and diving through the scripture. But I shared with you what I believe were four non-negotiables for our church that if we are going to continue to be the church that God has called us to be and to be a light to the, the world, not only here in Decatur, but around the world, that these are four things that we must stand on as a church. Again, we've seen God do incredible things in our past, and I think he has incredible things for our future as well. I have never been more excited about where we're going as a church. I've never been more passionate or excited about the direction, about the unity that we're experiencing, about about what the possibilities are in front of us. But here's something that I know. I don't just think it. I don't just believe it. I know it. That as excited as we are, as unified as we are as a faith family, I know that there is an enemy that wants to do anything that he can to grab a foothold, to distract us, to deter us from focusing on the eternal matters that he has called our church to. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to take a deeper look at at what we can do as individual believers, as followers of Jesus, to prepare ourselves against those attacks. Paul calls them in Ephesians that the, the enemy has these flaming arrows that he throws our way. So how can we guard ourselves using that shield of faith that the, the armor of God tells us? How can we shield ourselves from Satan who wants nothing more than to distract us from these eternal things? Before we move forward, let me review with you quickly the the four non-negotiables for our church that I share with you. I'm just going to go briefly. The The first is that as a church family, we must always have a high view of God that we must continue to lift up God, that we keep him as as holy. He is the ultimate thing in our life. Not only a high view of God, but we also have the authority of Scripture, that we must continue to place a priority on the Word of God. Commentaries are great, Christian literature is great, but nothing can substitute for the Word of God. We read it, we study it, we value it. That's what we're going to teach from God's Word. It has the absolute authority in our life. A high view of God, authority of Scripture number three, a sound doctrine. That when, when we have the, the word of God and that's what we're valuing, that's what's the authority of our life, then we are going to believe God's word because it's the source of our life. We will live according to what the Bible teaches. And when we do that, the application, the fourth part is how we live that out, which is our personal holiness. That when we see God is holy, when God's word is the ultimate in our life, when we are living our lives according to sound doctrine, then that's going to lead that we are going to pursue righteousness. We're going to run after Christ. We're going to flee from the things of this world because we desire to honor Christ above anything and everything in our life. So knowing that that's kind of the, 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 the benchmarks for our life the, the, as a church family, the four non-negotiables, I want us to look forward today and move forward and look at what are the attitudes of a healthy, God-honoring church member. If you were in small group early, you know we've been going through the book, um, I'm a church member. And part of the, the study this week was what does it mean to be a healthy church member? So we're going to focus on attitudes this morning instead of actions. Now, if you're like me, you'd rather have actions. Give me a checklist. Tell me the six things that I need to do, and I can check that list, and I can evaluate, I can judge, and I'll know exactly where I stand and if I'm being a good church member or not. But that's not where we're going. You see, because if we did that, I don't think that the focus of church membership, but more importantly than church membership, I don't think the focus of following Christ and being a follower of Jesus Christ should be on behavior change. 
It's not on just changing our actions. Because listen, you and I know that you can do the right things with the wrong attitude. And what? You're not honoring God at all. You know that with your children. They can say the right thing, but if they don't have the right heart, then then, then they're not honoring you. So we don't want to just say the right thing or do the right thing, but we want to have the right attitude. Because on the flip side, when we have the right attitude and our heart is in the right place, what naturally follows? The right action. But you got to put it in the right order. That's why God gives us, and, and he tells us, the Apostle Paul, he gives us the fruit of the what? The fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't say, here's a list of actions, here's a list of do's and don'ts. So if we spent the next 20 minutes or so just focusing on behaviors or actions or morality, it would be so easy for us to lend and creep even closer to being legalist. To say, oh, well, I'm following the letter of the law. Or for us, if you're looking at Scripture, say to call ourselves a Pharisee and to feel good about what we're doing just because we're doing it, but we don't have the right attitude. So what I've done is we understand that if we have the right attitude, that the right actions will then follow. So what I've done is I started with a list of 20 attitudes. Don't worry, we're not going to do 20, all right? I know I would lose you at that point. But I took 20 attitudes, and with the help of our staff, with the help of our deacons, we kind of whittled them away and narrowed them down to six. Six attitudes of this is what it means to be a healthy, God-honoring member of a local church. Again, more importantly, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's go through this quickly. Number one, the first God-honoring attitude is obedience. This is the overarching attitude of all the attitudes I'm going to list today. It's just obedience. What does obedience mean? Obedience says that if God says something, I'm going to do it. It's not up for debate. If I read God's word and this is what God's word says, then I am going to do it. 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices and obeying the voice of the Lord? Look what he says here. Behold, to obey is better than what? To obey is better than sacrifice. Listen to me, friends. Ritual will never replace obedience. Let me say that again. Ritual will never replace obedience. God desires for you and I to have an obedient heart more than he desires anything that you can bring to him. He desires for your heart to be obedient more than anything that you can do for him. How many of you have ever heard of a name Howard Hendricks? You ever heard that name before? He's a long time, he was a long time um, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He was there over 50 plus years. He wrote lots of books and he had lots of commentaries that we've used in our, our Sunday school literature in the past. And he wrote one of his most famous book was one called Living by the Book. And it talks about if the word of God is the authority, then here's how you should believe and here's how what you believe should affect how you live. And he's, he, he's made this statement and I underlined it. He said... Um, Christians over 50 should be the most excited, the most committed, the most enthusiastic, most ready to serve members in the church. Why is that? Why does he believe that if you're over 50, that you should be the most enthusiastic, the most ready to give, the most excited about what God's doing in the church? I believe it's because if you're over 50 and you were raised in church, that means you have been soaking up God's word longer than anybody else. You've been applying God's word. You've been understanding this is what God's word. You've got perspective on life, and you understand this is why I'm here. But how often have you and I heard from other church members, not from here, and we're not calling out other churches, 
But they'll say things like, you've got to come visit my church. It's so exciting. There's so much activity going on because we've got what age group here? There's so many young people here. The young people are everywhere. They've got young families, they've got young children, and they bring all this energy and all this excitement because we've got young people that are part of our church. Now hear me. I like young people. For the next at least three or four years, I consider myself a young person. I know it's not going to last forever, but I do. I agree that we've got to focus on this age group. They do bring a sense of energy and excitement. And if we want to be, uh, continue to carry out our legacy of our church, it's dependent upon our church reaching young families. But friends, the energy, the power of our church should not come from these younger families. It should come from mature believers who have been faithfully walking with God much longer than any others. That's where the energy comes from. That's where the power comes from. And I am so thankful for our senior adult ministry that leads the way in this. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I don't know of another ministry in our church that does more ministry inside the walls of this church and outside the walls of our church. They are constantly ministering. And I believe that we are the recipients, that we are the blessings of receiving a healthy church today and due of large part because of our senior adult ministry led by Roger Jenkins. They continue to lead the way in saying this is what it looks like to serve. So friends, I just don't want us to get to the point that we think that we can retire from being obedient to the Lord. I've done enough, and now it's time for the young people to do their job. No, 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 no. There's no retirement plan from obeying God. Friends, you see that obedience is better than any external act of worship that we can bring before him. An attitude of obedience, remember we're talking about attitudes. If we have an attitude of obedience, it will lead to a desire as individuals that we will want to read God's word. If we desire to be obedient, we're going to want to pray and memorize scripture. But it doesn't stop with just a desire individually to do these things, but collectively that we'll want to respond as a church member, as a member of a local body. But if we have this attitude of obedience, we're going to want to attend. There's no arm twisting or you got to guilt me into coming because you're going to want to be a part of the faith family. You're going to want to sacrificially bring your tithes and offerings to the Lord because it's an attitude of the heart. Not because the pastor said it, not because they're low on their offerings, because I'm following the Lord. My attitude is obedience, so I'm naturally going to want and desire to give my offerings. We're going to want to teach when there's a need, whether it's vacation Bible school, whether it's children's ministry, whether it's senior adults that we're going to want to teach, that we're going to want to serve. Why? It's all a matter of the heart. That's where it begins. Obedience is the first one. We'll go through the next quickly, I promise. Number two is humility. So if obedience says that if God says it, then I'm going to do it. Humility says, I care more about your needs than mine. Not I don't care about my needs, but I care more about your needs than mine. Now notice humility doesn't go around belittling yourself. Being a humble person doesn't mean you go around saying, well, I'm worthless. I can't do anything. I'm just terrible at it. No, no, that's not what it does. Because humility, it remembers that you are a child of God. And when you're humble, you remember that you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and your value doesn't come in what you do. Your value comes in the price that was paid for you. And as a follower of Christ, you know the price that was paid for you was the blood of Jesus Christ. So you don't walk around with your head hanging low, but humility simply sets aside some of your priorities to make sure that that person sitting next to you, to make sure the person in the balcony that's in the choir loft, that their needs are being met. 
I love the quote by C.S. Lewis that says, Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. Isn't that good? Let me say that again. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking about yourself less. Jesus said that if we were to have humble hearts, that we were to come before him as what? As little children. Matthew 18, 4 says, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Obedience, humility, and third is love. You can't talk about humility without immediately then mentioning love. Love according to God's word, not according to culture, not according to what the world says, but love according to God's word is a sacrificial act. Love is an act. Love is always doing something. You notice it in, in when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of us call that the love chapter. Love is always a verb. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is doing this. Love is doing that. By the way, a quick aside, if we're talking about reading the Bible in context, let's make sure that we understand that 1 Corinthians 13 follows what? Chapter 12, which was the, the basis of our first week that we talked this series, which is saying that it's about every believer using their gifts to strengthen and build up the body of Christ. So chapter 13 is not specifically for weddings. It's okay if you use it in your wedding. I know I'm a Debbie Downer today. But mainly, chapter 13 is saying, are you treating your fellow church members this way? Are you loving the body of Christ according to this list of, these list of verbs here? So love is an act of service. And it flows out of a heart of what? It flows out, this heart of service flows out of a heart of humility. And humility says, I care more about your needs than my needs. So what's the response? Love. Because I care more about meeting your needs and mine than I'm going to respond in love. Put simply, love is humility in action. That's all it is. It's I'm going to have a, a humble heart and then I'm going to put it into action by loving you. You ask how important is the attitude of love for a church member? 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the what? The greatest of these, what is it? Is love. The reason that we love is clear. It's because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he is the epitome of love. 1 John 4, 19, we love, why? Because he first loved us. The fourth attitude is unity. In Jesus' last prayer, as he's praying while he's in the garden before he's arrested, he prays for one thing in particular. What is it he prays for? He prays for unity. Look at, look at what he says here in John 17, 23. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly, here's the word, one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Christ desires that his people, Paul would say that those who are in Christ, that we would be unified. Again, I go back to what I said just a few moments ago. I believe with all my heart the enemy wants nothing more than to divide the church. And I'm not just talking about the capital C church, because I do think he wants to divide Christianity. And if we can have all these factions and we can fight against each other, then we're losing our effectiveness in sharing the gospel. But I also believe he wants to divide this church. He wants to divide our local body. If Satan can do one thing, if he can get us to turn inward, if we can just focus on my desires, on my preferences, on what I want, then we will lose our focus on eternal things and we'll lose our purpose for why God placed us here. We'll lose our perspective for what God wants to accomplish in and through us. 
But notice when Jesus made this prayer, he didn't pray, God, I I pray that they'll agree on everything. Listen, there are plenty of things that we can and should disagree on. That's okay. That doesn't mean, well, you can't, don't ever say anything against whatever they believe because that would be just, no, no, no. You can disagree on things. But the key is when we love one another, when we're praying for one another, even in our disagreements, we can maintain the unity and the spirit of love. We love one another. Jim Odom once said in Deacon's meeting, he said, there's a lot of church conflict that could be solved over a cup of coffee. Isn't that true? If you just love one another and you're praying for one another, it's okay to disagree, but we can still be unified. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Here it is, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Unity should be one of the attitudes that each and every one of us that we desire as a follower of Jesus Christ. So watch this. Humility leads to love, and love then leads to what? Unity. Why is that? Because when people, when we are giving ourselves away to others, not turning inward, but we're looking outward, there is an incredible sense of unity because now instead of focusing on my needs aren't being met, I'm now saying, how can I be a part? How can I serve? How can I help? And then there's a sense of unity because everyone's trying to outserve one another. Number five, service. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, this is how one should regard us. Don't miss this next phrase. As servants of Christ. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required that they what they may be found, here's the key word, faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Paul says, this is incredible. Paul says, listen, guys, when it comes time for my funeral... When it comes time for my eulogy, this is what I want you to say about me. Paul was a servant of Christ. Don't worry about listing all those things that I accomplished. Don't worry about naming a church after me, naming a school after me. I want you to remember this about me. When I'm dead, say this about me. I was a servant of Christ. And then in verse 2, he says, this is how I want to be found. I hope that at the end of my life, I'm found as what? I am found as faithful. And then verse 3 says, guys, I want you to know, I'm not doing this for the applause of man. I'm not doing this to please you. I'm doing all of this for the audience of one, and that audience of one is Jesus Christ alone. I do that to please and honor my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, all these attitudes, they're all interwoven together. You don't have love without humility. You don't have humility without love, and you can't truly be a servant without being what? Without being humble. They all work together. Being a healthy church member means that we're not just a spectator. Anyone can sit and keep score what they like and don't like, can't they? Anyone can say, well, I don't like this, I don't like that, check, check, check. But instead, what if each and every one of us, we said, we want to be like Paul. And we hope that at the end of my life, when my grandchildren are standing over my casket, when my children are looking at me on my final day, this is what they'll say about me. Grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, They were servant of Christ. They loved the Lord. They served the Lord. 
You say, well, I just don't even know where, where can I serve. You keep talking about serving, and I don't even... Well, the last two weeks, we've had an insert in there. We've given you three pages of ways to serve. You didn't like any of those? Here's some more. Here's ways you can serve. People in the hospital need to be visited every single day. Our deacons do... You can go visit people in the hospital. We give you a list. You can write a note to them. You can call them. We have people that, that need help in extended care six times a year. That's it. Renee didn't pay me anything to say that, but they're always needing help that they can help so that we can have these young moms and dads enjoy a time of Bible study. What about deep cleaning the nursery? You know, taking the preschool during spring break and saying, I want to be a part of just on my own cleaning that. We've got the most evangelistic opportunity we have every single year coming um, this summer, daytime this year, not at night, vacation Bible school. What about saying, hey, Jared, hey, Renee, how can I serve? Need me to teach? Need me to volunteer? Need me to do a greeter? What is it? We could be teaching there. What about writing notes to the homebound? We have dozens of, of, of men and women that have been so faithful to this church, but they can't get out of their homes to come to church. There's a lady that's in her 40s that she's been had some physical issues lately, and she called me and she said, I don't know what I can do to serve. I said, can you write a note? She goes, yep. Every week, Susie sends her a list of names of homebound and hospital plays, and she just writes notes to the homebound. There's no reason that you can't do that. We can all serve. What about serving on the outreach team? Ron Kreitz is wanting to go to Point Mallard once a quarter, once a month, and just those that are camping and just have an outreach opportunity, an evangelism opportunity. You can serve as a greeter on Sunday morning on Easter. We're going to have two services at 8 and at 1030. Why don't go to one and serve in the other and just be a greeter for 15 minutes and say, man, we're so glad you're here. See, I'm convinced that joy is linked with an attitude of service. They go hand in hand. The people that I see in this church that are the most filled with joy are the ones who are actively serving. The ones that I see that aren't happy, they're not serving anywhere. Joy comes when we give ourselves away. And friends, we want a church filled with joy. How do we have a church filled with joy? When we have a church filled with members who are giving themselves away through serving Jesus Christ. And sixth and final, the final attitude of being a healthy church member is thankfulness. We are so quick to read books and to read blogs and listen to sermons on what is God's will for my life. Well, let me give you God's will for your life in five words. How about that? You can't get that anywhere else. Five words. Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances. For what? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Five words. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's God's will. Not for everything, but in the midst of everything, would you give thanks? Just being thankful. Thanksgiving is one of the most powerful things that you can have in your life. If we could learn to simply cultivate in our hearts a heart of thankfulness, we could solve so many of our problems. You say, well, I don't have anything to be thankful for. That's so not true. Let me give you six. I don't have time to go through the scriptures, so you, if you want to write these scriptures down, here's six things according to scripture that we all have as believers in Jesus Christ to be thankful for. The gift of Christ, 2 Corinthians 9, 15. The word of God, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. We should be thankful for victory that we have over death, as we just sang just a minute ago, that death has no victory over us, and we can rejoice in that, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. We can rejoice in the triumph of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 2, 14. We rejoice and we can be thankful for the salvation for those that we love, our children, our grandchildren, our coworkers, Romans 6, 17. We can be thankful for God's grace that he provides, according to 1 Corinthians 1, 4. If we could just cultivate a heart of thankfulness, I believe it would radically change our perspective. 
The reason I think that we don't tend to be thankful is because we think, oh, well, life's not fair. When we're not thankful, we tend to think, oh, well, that's because I'm not getting what I, what, deserve. But friends, guess what? You and I, we're not getting what we deserve. And because we're not getting what we deserve, we should fall down on our knees and say, thank you, God, for not giving me what I deserve. Because what I deserve is to be eternally separated from a holy, perfect, loving God. But it's because of his grace that he accepts the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, and he sees me as his child. That's what he's done for us. So let me try to wrap this up real quick. Let me give you the bottom line here. If you say, there's no way I can remember all six of these. That's way too many. Here's a cheat sheet. Just remember one. Take any of those, any of those six, and just remember one of those and say, this is going to be the focus of my life. And if you just focus on one, I believe the other five are naturally going to come. Take any of them. I'm just going to focus on this one, and I think the other five will come. And I want to end with this. I hope that you know that I praise God for the blessing and the privilege of serving in a faith family that truly desires to be obedient. I believe that with all our heart. We desire, we want to be obedient individually and corporately. We are remaining, and I I see it every day, a humble, a loving congregation that there's an amazing sense of unity that we're experiencing. And friends, I hope that we don't take that for granted. That is a gift from the Lord that so many churches don't have. And what a blessing to be a part of a church that says that we want to be obedient. We want to remain humble and loving. We're embracing the sense of unity. As a congregation, from the very youngest to the oldest, there's a willingness to serve all over the church. And and Thanksgiving, I believe, it's something that sets our church apart from so many other churches that we do recognize that all of our blessings are from God. So I hope that you understand this message was not meant as a finger pointing at anyone saying, you need to do this better. Instead, it's just a reminder for us that there are always going to be seasons of our life where we're going to slip slip, slip away and we're not going to be thankful, we're not going to be humble, we're not going to want to act in a loving way. And we would remember that if we will focus on the attitudes, that the actions will follow. And I'm so excited and eager to see what the Lord has in store for us as we continue to put him above everything else. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is our desire that as a faith family that we would continue to look to you as our true source of hope, as our true leader, that we would honor you in all that we say and all that we do, that you and you alone would receive the honor and the glory, that you would strip away any person, any program, anything that takes glory away from you. We thank you for the incredible blessing of being part of such a loving congregation that seeks to love not only one another but those outside the walls of this church that are in need of that salvation of that caring loving touch and we pray with all of our might that you would continue to keep us forward thinking that we would focus on the message and the mission that you have in store for us today there is no doubt in my mind that you are going to put someone in our path this week that needs a word of encouragement Someone this week that does not have a personal relationship with you, would you place within us an attitude of obedience that says, God, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. I may be scared. I may not know what to say. I may not know what I'm going to do next, but I'm, I'm going to be obedient. Would you put that above our hearts, above everything else, that we would love you 
and that love would result in an action of obedience. Lord, I thank you most of all for Jesus. We thank you that he is our salvation. That no matter what comes our way, no matter what trials, no matter what temptations, no matter what difficulties that we will come in contact with this next week, we trust in you. We trust in the fact that this world is not our home and that we live to glorify Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray.